Hi, thanks for joining me. Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I have a book called Jesus Among Secular Gods, and the uh, subtitle is The Countercultural Claims of Christ. Uh, Ravi Zacharias and Vince Vital, or Vitali, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, are the co-editors of this. I wanted to look at chapter 7 in the book, and it's dealing with uh, something that we see around us so much these days, looking at a counter claim to Jesus. You know, if you don't buy into Christianity, what do you buy into? This chapter is on hedonism, and it's got the quotation here, whatever makes you happy. And this is Vince Vitale, who's uh, doing this chapter. They alternated chapters. And he starts off with a supposition. I like uh, these kinds of ways of starting. I think that's really powerful. He says, what if you had a machine and it would give you any experience you desired? You could imagine yourself uh, running and winning a gold medal, maybe falling in love or making a great scientific discovery. And then the neurons in your brain would be stimulated. So it'd be just like doing the real thing. But actually, you'd be floating in a tank of goo with electrodes hooked up. So the question that he asks here is, if you had the choice, should you pre-program your experiences and plug into this machine for the rest of your life? And he says, you know, if all that mattered was pleasure in this life, if hedonism was true, then just plug into that experience machine. You'd be encouraging everybody else to do that as well. Hey, spend your life plugged in. But you know, there's something down deep that's, that says that isn't, that isn't life. It says, we know that there's more to this life than happiness or pleasure. We, we don't want to just feel loved. We want to actually be loved. We don't want to just dream of accomplishing things. We want to actually accomplish them. We want to not just feel like we've made a difference in life. We really want to make a difference. I just think that's so powerful. What a, what a great way to start. And uh, Vince says that pleasures and happiness are good things. There's nothing wrong, but they're not the only good things. We should care, he says, not only about feeling good on the inside, but we need to also be concerned with truth and about the impact their lives have outside of ourselves. He quotes C.S. Lewis here. He said, if happiness were all that uh, a person was after, a good bottle of port would do the trick. Yeah, I think that's good. The author goes on to say that people frequently say, well, I don't need God in my life. I'm happy as I am. And he says, well, that's great. Happiness is a gift from God. Uh, Acts 14, 17 says, God fills your hearts with joy. But Christianity offers far more than happiness. He goes back to that idea of the machine again. He says, you know, the person in that experience machine is happy as they are. Some animals may be very happy where they are. So should we just plug into an experience machine or wish that we were animals? But he said, you know, in either case, and I ended up underlining this twice, in either case, what's the result of hedonism? The loss of humanity. Isn't that powerful? The loss of humanity. And he goes to, to the story of Jesus. He said, you know, Jesus chose a hard life. And uh, in John 10, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So Jesus did not choose a life of infinite, uninterrupted pleasure. No. He lived the most universally lauded of all time. It's a powerful argument against hedonism. He looked at it and he rejected it. And he points out just how troubling Jesus' life was. He said, we kind of sanitize it, but he didn't have a place to put his head down. He 
told one of his dear friends, get behind me, Satan. He knew anger, anger because there were unjust authorities around there that he called hypocrites and blind fools and vipers. And he saw with great sadness the temple being prostituted, basically. And in the toward the time of his death, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And when he's on the cross, what does he yell? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had trouble from start to finish. They said, but you know, it wasn't just that he had a troubling life. More than that, he actively went looking for trouble. And we know all these stories of him uh, confronting evil. He says also there were a lot of days when Jesus could have looked for his own pleasure, but he went for other people's hurt and finding out what they needed and helping them. And he has a, a reference to Luke 4.18 that Jesus reads to the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news. So Jesus went looking for trouble. That's what it took to save us. But Jesus not only went looking for trouble, he was a troublemaker. He died so that we would die. And it said for Jesus and for people who followed him, there were counterfeit gods out there that were not to be sovereign or masters. And then he compares that to what's going on today. Uh, Vitaly says in a culture that says, hey, be yourself, look after yourself. You got to express yourself. Trust yourself. You got to treat yourself. Jesus says, what? Luke 9, 23, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, Vitaly says, well, look, are there a lot of moments of pleasure in a Christian's life? Sure. Is there joy that comes from knowing you have a purpose? You're a child of God? Sure, definitely. But he points out that pleasure and joy are only gifts that we can receive with integrity when we're not plugging into an experience machine, but we're living with the love of Christ in a real and a really troubled world. He says, let's take a look at money. He, he has a section in this chapter on money. He said, we get distracted to, uh, about that. And he says, money and sex. Those are the, the two great distractions in life, money and sex. And he said, we want often to shut out the outside world so we can be untroubled by all the things we purchase. And Jesus challenges us. What does he say? He pleads, don't plug into this. He says, and this is uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became, became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus becomes poor that we can become rich. He gives up his comfort. He gave up all of his luxury. Can you imagine being in heaven, part of the Trinity, he gives that all up? to live in human poverty, because that's what it took to meet us in our trouble and pull us out of this trouble. He says, now I'm aware that there are a lot of complicated questions when it comes to using your money well, so I appreciate that, no doubt. Uh, you know, what do you give to, and when do you give, and how much do you give, and do you give it all away, or do you save because you want to be uh, good with your family's needs and all? He said he just knows that his heart needs to be aligned with the message of Jesus. And what's that message? People are worth dying for. All right, so there was the first area that he said that uh, distract a lot of people from the life that Jesus wants us to have. He says the other one is sex. He says, boy, he, he tells his story here that before he became a Christian, he said it was such a countercultural approach to sex, you know, no sex before marriage. He said, boy, that seemed weird. That, that struck him as how, how outdated Christianity was. He said that seemed sexually repressive, impossible to follow, and all that kind of stuff. But then he talks about his own uh, wedding and, and marrying his wife. He says, well, 
why do Christians make such a big deal about sex? It's not because it's a rule. It's because sex is a kind of word. It's a physical word. Uh, sexual intercourse is an appropriate name, he says. Sex says something. Causing somebody else to be fulfilled sexually is the strongest word in our language. It's a word that says, all of me for all of you, always. And so he talks about his own relationship. He said he thinks he and his wife, uh, by waiting to have sex with each, with each other, he said, we're back to that, all of me for all of you, always, to know what it meant, to feel like it, to to be able to trust that when you said something to each other, whether it was verbal or physical, it was the truth. And that it might have been uh, enjoyable to have sex before marriage, that his wife was worth waiting for, and that being careful with her heart was way more important than fulfilling his own desires. And he realized, I like this, he said, there's a lot of things you could say on this topic, but he said, God's rules are not outdated. They're not an attempt to make us boring. It's not trying to spoil our fun. It's not an arbitrary test. They're a gift because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And he says, following Jesus has led to the most honest and life-giving relationships he's ever known. He says, today the Christian vision for sex and marriage is really countercultural. But he said, take a look. Is, is it such a crazy idea? It's the way sex is uh, brought forth in the Bible. He says, when I look at the last 50 years or so in the West, he said, what we've experimented, experimented uh, with as a society when it comes to sex, he says it's severed sex from any kind of meaning and purpose and context. And what have we ended up with? It's not leading to human flourishing. What have we got? Divorce rates are skyrocketing. Much more addiction to pornography marital unfaithfulness, abortion, sex trafficking, on and on. And a friend of his told him this, whenever you try to break God's law, you wind up proving God's law while breaking yourself in the process. Wow, isn't that true? He says it's that hedonistic view of sex where it's anyone, anytime. That's what's outdated. People have tried that. It doesn't work. He says it's not crazy to think that a God who cares about human flourishing would give clear guidelines about sex. So he says, authentic Christianity is marked by saying there is a better way than hedonism when it comes to money and sex. So he says, hedonism fails. Sexual fulfillment has never fulfilled anybody. Financial security has never made anybody secure in their identity. And he gives a uh, kind of a long quotation, uh, which is attributed to Oscar Wilde, and I think it's worth reading. So he said, people that are really big on hedonism probably should pay attention to this. Here's what Oscar Wilde said. The gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of sens senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of new sensation. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me uh, the sphere of passion. I grew careless in the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, one has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended up in horrible disgrace. There's only one thing for me now, absolute humility. Now, Oscar Wilde uh, was a great writer and thinker, and pushed this idea of hedonism big time, but it broke him toward the end of his life. It's a terrible story to read. Uh, Vitaly, toward the end of the chapter, says he's never met someone who wishes they had been less generous with their money. 
I've never met someone who regrets reserving sex for their spouse. Isn't that powerful? We're back to that money and, and sex thing. I just love that. He says, I've never met somebody who wishes they'd been less generous with their money. I've never met someone who regrets reserving sex for their spouse. Wow, amen and amen to that. He says hedonism fails for people who just pursue pleasure as their God, if that's all they want. Um, I'm going to see how we're doing on time here. Uh, yeah, we can finish the chapter up here. So he says, whether you're trying to pursue pleasure or denying the pursuit of pleasure, whatever it is, hedonism fails. So what do we do if hedonism goes? How can we stand with those who have suffered from uh, terrible disasters like Oscar Wilde by pursuing hedonism, hedonism? What can we do? He says, first with tears. He says, we've got to come alongside and cry with those that are suffering. Now, secondly, he says, we need to call the brokenness of this world absolutely evil. It's evil. It's not just, oh, that's, what a shame. He says, let's respond to the brokenness of the world by repenting of us uh, letting these things go without speaking out on them. A third response of the failure of hedonism, he says, we have to believe that every human life is sacred and valuable and worth protecting. And then fourth, we need justice, he says. Yeah, no kidding. He said, we've got all this evil out there. And he said, we need a God who is fully committed to both love and justice. Fifth, don't let people suffer alone. God will be with them. We need to be with them. Finally, he says, we need hope. And he gives an example of the future of the Bible, what it says compared to hedonism. Do you just want to play with your Xbox more? Do you want to spend more money on your home? Do you want to get a fancier car? Those all disappear. And yet, Revelation 21 gives us a different picture. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He says, how much of our life has been spent plugged into an experienced machine? And who's getting hurt by that? And what opportunities for real relationships are passing us by? He ends the chapter by saying, we know we're called to a life that's greater than what hedonism offers, more than just plugging into that experience machine. He says, what we don't know is whether we have the strength to say no to our selfishness and to say yes to sacrificial love. So he says, our problems with hedonism is not intellectual, it's a heart problem. So there's only one that's going to offer a real change of heart. It's the God of Christianity. What does he say in Ezekiel 36? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So Vitaly ends up by saying, God calls us to more than hedonism. He says we need a challenging and meaningful life. He says, you know, down deep, we know that we were made for this. He calls us for a life that one day we can look back on with gratitude. And he says, we just need to ask him. He can give us the heart, the spirit, and the strength needed to live that life. So I hope that gives you an idea of this book. I like it a lot. Jesus Among Secular Gods. And what a challenge to all of us. It's so easy with uh, the kind of money that we have in this country and the, the pleasures that are at our fingertips to live that kind of life as opposed to a life of sacrifice and giving ourselves to God and giving ourselves to others. Powerful information. All right, thank you, and uh, we'll tackle another book soon.